Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future. I'm also very aware that I, uh, we've just listened to Desert Island Discs, so I feel as though I've been very Desert Island Disc in how I <laughs> intro that. And we might have some seagulls in the background, which yes. would make it even more Desert Island Disc. I know. Because we are recording this from the most beautiful place we've ever recorded. Yeah, definitely. We're sitting... Just outside, no, we're not outside. We're in a it conservatory. Like it feels like we're in a conservatory. One of the bedrooms that Charlotte and I used to stay in when we were younger. Yeah. We used to come. We're in Albrough in Suffolk. With my brother's godmother's uh, house. Yeah. Which is beautiful. And it's a lovely garden. We can see the badminton net and we've got some pims. And we've been really on holiday because we've been listening to a lot of Desert Island Discs, haven't we? Especially when it was raining on Monday, which was yeah. one of my favourite days We did ever. nothing other than watch films. It was so great. Yeah, it was so good. I think that's so good <clears throat> to do that on holiday. That is what being on holiday is about. Mm. Um, is actually to just completely stop. Taking a vacation, to use the American word, which is actually quite effective. I like that. You can just vacate your life. Yes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> One of the Desert Island discs you listened to, following on from last week, was Billie Jean King's, mm. and it is absolutely brilliant. I'm so glad you liked it. Isn't it fab? It's you could so just listen to it again great. and yes. still hear different things. Absolutely, and I particularly like her three things to live by, mm-hmm. which are relationships are everything, always keep, keep, keep learning and always learn how to learn, which I love. Love that. And third is uh, be a problem solver. Yeah. Which is great. I feel like it's very figure values put into really beautiful words. Basically, if I, we could have her join us, that would be the dream. Yeah, it? that would be the dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will, we also found Charlotte's grandfather on Desert Island Disc. Well, I found, I didn't know that he was on Desert Island Disc. So I'm really excited to listen to the full episode. Uh, Tennessee Williams, yep. who is our figure for this week. And just generally, Desert Island Discs is just great. You always think what about... What do you think of Bill Nye's? Oh, I loved Bill Nye's. Very funny. Yeah. Very, very funny. I'd like to see him and Hugh Grant chat. I feel like they've got a very similar witty sense of humour. They be yeah, I'd love actually they were in the same film. But I don't think they're in the same scenes. No. Mm. But they're great. Speaking of which we've also <laughs> yeah. revisited for the millionth time some of Emma Freud and Richard Curtis's best creations, including Four Weddings and Funeral and About Time. Yeah. About Time was as and Four Weddings and Funeral was splendid, yeah. I thought. <laughs> splendid, I thought. What did you think? <laughs> splendid, I thought. <laughs> I thought it was splendid too. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it's been it's been really lovely. It feels like a really long time since we recorded the last episode. Yeah, it does. It? And we're also going to Wilderness Festival tomorrow, which is very, very exciting. And how could we not mention Love Island? That came to an end on... Sunday night. Except Monday. that we weren't able to watch it, so that we then put both of our phones on airplane mode. <laughs> so we didn't know who the winners were. <laughs> so we wouldn't accidentally find out and then put them off at about 12 the next day or something. <laughs> Actually, speaking of which, though, I've really enjoyed not being attached to my phone. I think that's constantly. Again, that's another great thing about being on holiday is that you're not on your phone, you don't really care where your phone is. I lost my phone temporarily as well, <laughs> which. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I didn't mind. Um, and it's just really nice to just not be plugged in. Whereas at home, in your home routine, at mm-hmm. work, you've mm-hmm. got things to do, chores. You just you need Places to have to it. go and people yeah. to meet. Yeah, it's been great not to have that. Yeah, it's been so much fun. It really I has. I've loved it. We've also had some really amazing Indian food, Thai food. Oh, the food! And we're about to have fish and chips tonight. So it's been honestly We've been amazing. The best of all, Brett. We've also been. 
using my brother's incredible culinary skills to mm. our advantage. Absolutely. And Janine's vegetable garden, which has also been amazing. Fresh veg. It's been fab. So I, I really, I feel like this week has, for me has been about going on holiday and most specifically going on holiday to England, which has been great <laughs> this year because of the weather. It's been brilliant. Um, another thing, though, that I was wondering as I was laying awake Monday morning, I woke up at about eight and I could hear the thunder and lightning and I suddenly thought, what is thunder and lightning? <laughs> because we don't really know what it is other than being very scary. And did you used to do this when you were younger, hide under your duvet and get very scared? Uh, I think I used to sing um, uh, like, my favourite things. Oh, that's so nice. I just would, would... Oh, like from The Sound of Music. Yeah, exactly. I used to hide under my duvet and just get very scared and... Uh, yeah, I normally try be and go into my mum and dad's room. dogs actually because they really didn't like it. Yeah, they were so comforting cute. something somebody else or something like a dog it makes you feel better. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I found out what it is now. Okay, do tell. Now thunder itself isn't actually the phenomenon that's going on here. Thunder is is simply accompanying the lightning. It's actually a sound caused by lightning, and it depends on how far away the storm is. You know how they say you see the lightning and then you count. One, two, three. And the amount of seconds, apparently, is the amount of miles the storm oh, is away. Oh, I didn't know that. So if you get thunder and then lightning imme- sorry, lightning and then thunder immediately, you know the storm is literally right above you and you're about to get a shed ton of rain. Okay. And if it's not, then it's still coming closer. Mm. Um, and essentially what it's caused by is a difference in temperature. It's where you have warm air underneath cool air. The warm air evaporates and then forms water droplets within the cool air. And then they freeze... It sounds very complicated. Yeah, and there's all sorts of things about positive and negative charges and the Earth's atmosphere. And then basically as they collide and discharge, you get a massive bolt of lightning. And, um, and then the thunder is basically the sound of that happening. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I'm glad so- that you looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> I was really curious. I had no idea what it is. Anyway, maybe we should move on to this week's episode. first figure that we're going to be talking about today is Tennessee Williams, who was an American playwright born in 1911 and who famously wrote plays such as A Streetcar Named Desire, The Glass Menagerie and Cat on a, a Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Amongst many, many others, I didn't realise that he had written so many plays. I think it's something like 70 or 80 and when we were listening to his Desert Island Discs, he actually did mention that he thought a day was wasted if he wasn't writing. So... And also he talks about how writing was therapy for him. Definitely. Um, And I always compared him actually to Henri Matisse, the artist, because when he was ill, when he was little, his mum bought him a set of paints. And then that's when he started to paint, um, I think. And with Tennessee Williams, it was also, I think, when he was ill that his mum bought him a typewriter when he was 12. Oh! For $10. Oh, my God. Mm. that's lovely and I think he started writing poetry and then he moved into playwrights yes. after that and what's f- plays. what's brilliant about Tennessee Williams is actually so much of his writing was based on his own experience and his, mm. the really prominent characters in his early childhood such as his mother, his father, his sister um, I also didn't realise that he had changed his name from Thomas to Tennessee when he was 28 Yeah, which is when he moved to New Orleans and wrote A Streetcar Named Desire and it kind of marked the sort of a next another era. phase of his life um, of doing what he wanted to do, moving away from his family, yeah, kind of getting more into the sort of 
city rather than a rural life. So yeah, that was quite interesting. I didn't mm-hmm. realise that. But I think what we will focus on for this episode is a play that we probably know better than the others. Yeah, which is a streetcar named Desire. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you first? look at Streetcar Named Desire or study it? I did that for the International Baccalaureate. I did higher level English, which mm. is sort of the equivalent of A-levels, mm-hmm. except you do more subjects, um, and you do a huge essay. Mm. Um, and we... Low-key IP level <laughs> rivalry in there. <laughs> I don't think anyone is objecting to that, Sean. I know, but some people don't understand no. what it is, no, no, so no, I'm no, trying I... to explain. No, 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 I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we covered that, and it was one of the four plays that we did, and so we actually had to compare it to plays such as Antony and Cleopatra, mm. and Dancing at Lunasa, and uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf by Edward Albee. Mm. And it was just such a really brilliant play to dissect and analyse and there are so many interesting themes such as truth and illusion and death and desire and lots of sex (laughs) well I guess sex is a massive theme isn't it because that's the thing that's keeping Stella and Stanley who are the married couple that's something that they kind of can't really see beyond or she can't really see beyond there's Mm. this intense physical Mm. connection and I think then she can't really see how he's so destructive to her no, exactly. But then he, that is also, it's sort of the best and worst thing about mm. every, their relationship. And mm. the same with Blanche, that her whole, the whole demise of that character of Blanche, who um, it is revealed later on in the play that she's actually been a prostitute yeah. back in um, Oriel, isn't mm. it, where she's from? Mm. Uh, and basically, just, what is this, the story is around Stella and Stanley, who are a married couple, and Blanche, Stella's sister, who's turned up. To see Stella, she's kind of lost her home and doesn't mm-hmm. have any money. And mm-hmm. there's this massive rivalry between Stanley and Blanche because Blanche can obviously see how destructive he is. He's obviously thinking, gosh, you know, she's just this... Ve- I think he sees her very much as a very weak, yeah. um, kind of like a victim. Well, they're complete polar opposites complete. and they have totally different values. He doesn't empathise in- at all. She can feel pretty much every emotion. <laughs> yeah. Um, which Vivian Lee really, really, really... Successfully portrayed in the film, which we watched as well on our rainy day on Monday. Yeah. Um, as well, I think, I think what's interesting is the dynamic as well between the in-laws and that sort of really tense family dynamic. Like, if you don't like your sister's mm. husband, how on earth do you <clears throat> navigate your way through that? Um, especially when you realise that start to realise that he's abusive. Mm. Um, I think that's a really and then the, and then it brings out all of their kind of problems within their sisterly relationship and all of the yeah, things that they're pretending that's not I think happening. The, the, the most important thing to re- remember about all of Tennessee Williams's characters is that nobody is one thing or the other. No. And what I really liked in this interview with Rachel Wise, who played Blanche recently... Was oh, was that the, the article about her Donmar Warehouse yes. production? Yeah. Yeah. She says that one, somebody said that the definition of tragedy is when both sides are wrong. Yeah. And I think that this really applies to this play because Definitely. you you want to support and believe and help Blanche who has been kind of... Oh, Not had the best go No, to. just... Yeah. she Her husband died when he was very young mm. uh, because he was a homosexual. It's implied in the play that he... Took his own life. He took his own life because of this. Mm. It's actually taken out of the film which was mm. produced four years later. I know. So, because it was because too controversial. It was too controversial. And that's funny because Tennessee Williams was himself gay. Yeah. And obviously felt that 
intense contra- controversy at the time. I mean, he knew. He- well, I, I thought that, but he actually said, I never considered my homosexuality as anything to be disguised. Neither did I consider it a matter to be overemphasized. I mm. consider it an accident of nature. But I think that's, I think that, that, I think that's completely fair enough, but I think that people around him may have reacted differently. Or like, I don't yeah. know. You know but I think that, remember, the with, with the... The film that would have been in the hands of other people right, and other directors and other producers, and uh, I think they did actually similar changes when Breakfast at Tiffany's was produced. Mm. So in Truman Capote's actual book, Breakfast at Tiffany's, it's very much implied that Holly Golightly, that character, is a prostitute, mm. but that is really taken. Yeah, you don't. It's very. It, it's sort of carved out. Very much so. And when you're younger, you, it, you don't even know. Oh, it comes completely over your head. Completely over your head. Yeah. So one of the things that we were thinking about when we were watching the film was um, obviously how stunningly gorgeous Marlon Brando is um, <laughs> as this character of Stanley and almost his sort of feral masculine-ness yeah, makes him so attractive because he's just very... It's completely the opposite to Blanche who's just so feminine and, and delicate so, and delicate and just all about the arts and literature and, and the beauty of life and in progression its, yeah. and culture and, yeah. and all of that and he is just so not, not about that no, he's about the base he's just perfectly content with what he's, he's about doing a kind in his of world body and, and survival yeah and body and strength and exactly and pleasure Pleasure, pleasure, obviously, um, as that's a massive dynamic between the two. And so when I was looking at, thinking about that, I thought, gosh, people always say, oh, women are like, like a bad guy or whatever. And I was always thought, no, that's ridiculous. But actually, if you think about it, I made a list of some characters that traditionally had a lot of female fans who actually are quite, I don't know, similar to Stanley in that they're not actually... Uh, quite toxic. Yeah. I.E. <laughs> Heathcliff. Yes. Edward Cullen. Yes. Hamlet. I don't know that I would ever fancy Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. I don't think I fancied Heathcliff either. Tom Buchanan. And I was also... Um, Not Tom Buchanan. I was Buchanan. also Team Jacob, so... <laughs> but continue basically this is my list no, no, I'm <laughs> um, Christian Grey yes definitely Daniel Cleaver yes 100% um, <laughs> Mr Rochester again no don't like that but uh, but again you can see there's sort of this, this sort of darkness to mm-hmm. these characters that somehow may seem appealing I don't but know. is it part of their attraction yes yeah I think when someone's a bit mysterious mm. you almost have feel mm-hmm. like and this is actually time. what we discussed when we were in class all those years ago when we were talking about Anthony Cleopatra in comparison to Streetcar Named Desire because Cleopatra is actually incredibly manipulative very mysterious mm. and a very toxic character for Anthony she mm. essentially it means that Anthony no longer has control over a third of the Roman Empire because he mm. falls so madly in love with her but she again and we were comparing this sort of Stanley uh, Cleopatra attraction. Yeah. Where why are they just, so intriguing? Mm, but actually, the uh, critic Harold Clerman said that the whole film is actually unbalanced by the diabolically desirable Marlon Brando, <laughs> because he is so attractive. You so can't attractive, oh you God. can't hate him no, you can't. enough that you're supposed to. But I think that is it makes it more complicated and more interesting for that reason. And I think Tennessee Williams himself had such 
an attraction repulsion to those sorts of characters mm. in his own I think life. We all, I think we all do. Mm. There's something about those types of characters. Yeah. Um, and especially when you put like a... The, because of the attraction, the sort of sexually charged nature of it, yeah. you just can't help but watch him yeah. the whole time. And I actually asked my brother about this, who's been with us this week. I couldn't believe how much he dissolved into this character mm. of Stanley to the point where I was so angry at this mm. awful, awful And man. also, you're not going to get the attractiveness. If it's your brother <clears throat> no, exactly. playing Stanley, you're not going to get any of that, No, I can't stop looking at him, he's so gorgeous. No. So you can see then the character for who he is. Yeah, exactly. Rather than being yeah, masked absolutely. By it. And I asked him what he found most difficult to play, and he said, or what he... Yeah, well, he said it was the animalistic nature because yeah. and seeing George women is not objects. like that at all. Yeah. And then were there any parallels between George and Stanley? And I thought this was a really interesting answer. It's that they are committed to being honest and they hate illusion. Yeah, and, and this and, is and this Stan, is that's why, his main issue with Blanche, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. This is why Stanley and Blanche clash so much because Stanley is somebody who's very straightforward, who is not going to put any paper lanterns over light bulbs, whereas Blanche is... Will put them all over everything. Yeah, and she can't, she can't stand naked light bulbs and she can't stand being seen for what she truly is. Or she's very and worried about that. There's metaphors of the light that go all the way through the plays. His symbolism is just so brilliant to analyse. I love writing essays about that. Um, and, yeah, I think that that is a really important issue to bring to light. Um, another <laughs> interesting thing about Tennessee Williams that I just thought was just to just touch on is that um, he was very close to his sister Rose, mm. who's um, inspired him for lots of characters, including Blanche, because Blanche does have a complete nervous breakdown by the end of the play, um, and is taken away. And um, his sister was diagnosed with schizophrenia in her early 20s, and she actually underwent a lobotomy, which um, essentially is severing connections from your prefrontal cortex um, to the... Which means that you're left in a sort of empty state. Yeah, so your pers- you... lots of your bits of your personality go. You, you're unable to do things for yourself. Mm. You, your intellect and... Per- basically, it's saying you are dramatically altering their personality and intellect, um, reducing their initiative, inhibition, and they have completely decreased awareness of everything going on around them. Mm. And obviously, that takes away the symptoms of the schizophrenia, but you're completely taking away the whole person and the personality of the individual. Yeah. And I found that more women than men had them. Yeah. Um, I think it was about two-thirds women, wow. a third men. And they were discovered by Antonio Igas Manis, and he was awarded the Nobel Prize in 1945. For, for performing lobotomies? For contribution to <gasps> psycho, neuro, psycho... No, neurosurgery. Oh, my God. Yeah. And yeah, he was profoundly affected by what happened to his sister in the treatment of her, and mm. and I think JFK's sister had the same as well. Really? Yeah, I think um, her name was also Rose, which is really weird. Oh, that's really strange. Yeah, um, and I think just society in general and how they would shut people away who yeah. were not acceptable. Right. Even in the Desert Island Disc interview that, which was carried out in '78, I believe, um, the interviewer describes her as being demented. So. Obviously, you've come away. The final thing that I wanted to finish on and share was to link last week's figure, Meryl Streep, with Tennessee Williams. Mm. And Williams said that he actually would have loved to Meryl Streep to have played the character of Blanche, and oh. she would have been amazing at she that. She would have been. But they, yeah. So they met each other, and this is what he wrote about her. 
Talent is not to be confused with genius. As rare as talent is, and it is, it is given to far more people. You find genius as often as you find a unicorn, or an act of ki a kind act offered without the expectation of a return. Meryl Streep, I believe, has talent, and she has genius. She wears both well, another rare gift she possesses, along with her beauty and her humour. There would appear to be no threat of her being smothered or defeated or burdened by her gifts. The wonder of her wealth has made her almost modestly bewildered, confused, grateful, furtive. She understands that she is here to work, to learn, to prosper as a woman, to a greater degree than as a commodity. Oh, that's so lovely. It's amazing, isn't it? I wonder why she didn't play Blanche in the end. I don't know if there was ever a production that was that yeah. came about. Yeah. But I think that that just finishes... And the first film was very significant. I don't think they would have wanted... He wanted to have yeah. totally tried and remade it. Mm, absolutely. But the the important thing, I think, is that he wrote and understood women so, so well. Yeah. And he actually said, no living person doesn't contain both sexes. And I really... I love that. I really love that. That is so true. And Tennessee Williams himself, as a man, really struggled with how effeminate he came across to some people and mm. I think that that was a source of struggle but it's actually a source of his creative oh, genius and ironically he's writing about talent and genius and mm. I would say that he has both as well oh, I think the depth and the richness of his characters in particular a character like Blanche is just unparalleled in terms of what I've studied definitely the second figure for this week's episode is that a third of all food is wasted globally every year and I think the reason we chose this stat is that that's actually a staggeringly ridiculously large amount of food yeah it is um, and probably one of the reasons why we have so many issues with people in the world that aren't able to get food mm -hmm. because not only can we not distribute it effectively we're also wasting so much so of it. much so much and so many resources are then going into making more food that we didn't really need yeah so a really crazy stat in relation to that is that an area larger than china is used to grow food that is never eaten oh God. so that's calculated in total all of the sort of land that's in used. terms of i think in terms of crops and in terms cattle, of maybe cattle or sheep or meat that isn't ever oh eaten or cooked mm. uh, and also that the it's nearly one billion people on the world in the world are hungry and they could be fed on less than a quarter of the food that is wasted in europe and the usa that's awful yeah that's so awful so i guess the issue is Firstly, not wasting so much food, but also finding ways to distribute food that is not used to people who really need it. Yeah, and a, and a local local form of this is the Phoenix yeah, Project. Exactly, which is which is our charity of the month, and was started by uh, Felix, a boy called Felix's father, and he died um, of meningitis. Felix did, and used to play football in his local team, and would come home a lot and tell his parents how concerned he was about some of his friends and players who hadn't eaten all day because they couldn't afford it so mm -hmm. they will then get food straight from the suppliers and the distributors and take them to refuges and charities and also sometimes at supermarkets of uh, food that has gone past this you buys day or has a day left yeah um there are a few societies at uni who used to do stuff like that which was really cool yeah i think it's just such an amazing project and mm. turning something which is just the worst thing that you could imagine happening, which is mm. losing your... I think he was only 10. Yeah, he was very 10 year old young. son. 
and now so many people have been fed by the Felix by the Felix project I think that they deliver one million meals a year that's amazing yeah and our action to go along with our charity of the month is that we are going to volunteer with the Felix project um signed up which is very exciting so we Mm -hmm. just need to find an evening or two or three or that we can use to take boxes of food from the suppliers to the charities. Mm. pret manger also have an ama- amazing foundation um, and they focus on the homeless. So they uh, take all of their sandwiches that they haven't sold in the shops that mm-hmm. day and they give them to homeless shelters, um, yeah. which is fantastic. And, and, and they also have access programs for people who are homeless so they can then um, I've always been curious as schemes. to how they have got around the legal aspect of that. What's well, cold food is different to hot food. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. So why don't more you can companies keep it do that? Um, good question. Probably uh, money, distribution, time. Yeah. If you think about how much coordination has to occur. Yeah. Uh, also, the thing about Pret is that everything is made on site. So everything does have to go. There are no preservatives, no additives, whereas you have places like Eat or Sainsbury's, they're just sitting on the shelves in a factory and then mm. go to sit on other shelves. And by the mm. time you eat it, it's probably months or weeks old. Um, and then... They do reduce it in the, you know, when you go into Sainsbury's or Tesco's at a certain time of day. Yeah. You'll have reduced sandwiches. All uni students will know that. All uni students know that. Shop at Tesco's after a certain time. Or on a Sunday evening. So that you get the reduced <laughs> section. Exactly. Which not only saves you money, also saves food. Which is exactly. otherwise thrown away. That'll all be chucked. Um, one of my good friends worked at uh, a similar brand to the one we were talking about. And even she wasn't even allowed to take the sandwiches that were going to be... What? Uh, past their use by date. A lot of a lot of people have very strict rules. I mean, we worked at the same catering event, didn't we? Uh, two summers ago, last summer. Yeah. And the summer Wimbledon. before that, Wimbledon. Um, and the amount of food that was wasted was absolutely insane. Yeah, it was really, really absolutely <coughs> insane. I, I've never seen anything like it in my life because everything had to go. So we'd serve three meals a day, all hot food. If it wasn't eaten, it was chucked. Yeah, into literally dustbins. Literally. Yeah, huge vats of bins that was just gone every day. We you could have fed probably about a hundred families a day from the food. Yeah, it's really sickening. Mm. I think that we just need to have more projects like the Felix Project, which Mm. is actually doing something because, as you say, it's time, resources, money. Mm. But think about the positive impact of that. Mm. And also, we're just not going to be able to live how like we do forever. No, it's this is completely unsustainable. Completely unsustainable. Um, another cool thing is the supermarket near us here in Albra, um, the co-op, has this scheme. Um, I forget what it was called, but I noticed it when I was there on my walk the other day. That they have all the products that are about to go off. I think it's like used by or sell. I think it's their sell by date. Must be past. sell by, yeah. I think it's sell by, and there was a big basket of things. Everything was ten p. And there were really chocolate good. bars, flapjacks. Barbecue sauce, some scones. Oh, you say scones? Yeah, why I do you know? I say scones. <laughs> I think my mum's American. Is scone American? Yeah, I don't know. Some people in Britain also say scone. Do they? Okay. It's very divisive. Oh, here's, well, it's envelope, envelope. Oh, yeah. There's loads of those. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, Georgia, what are your main tips for saving food? Do not do what the character from Catherine Tate did. 
is my number one tip. <laughs> You're gonna need to explain that. So back in the day, Catherine, we're gonna link this. If you haven't seen it's it, so it's so good. good. She, um, Catherine Tate, plays this character called Mrs. Taylor Thomas. <laughs> my parents <laughs> loved it because her son is called Thomas, so he's Thomas Taylor Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the one of her sons <laughs> opens this. She, they have this gooseberry and cinnamon yogurt. <laughs> In that accent. And he opens it and he takes a bite and they all realise it's past the set, the use-by date by a day. And they abandon him in this park because they think he's going <laughs> to die. they think he's going to be contaminated. And then contaminated. So there's, there, but there is... But what she's touching on, though, is this precious fear of things. But, and I remember Charlotte's mum when we were kids. <laughs> we'd have this yoghurt and it was this, obviously the most natural kind of yoghurt. It was like so natural that you could barely put a spoon in it. It was so thick. <laughs> and it was, like, it was like a month past its use-by date. And she said, oh my God, don't be ridiculous. It's just the middle... It's already fermented anyway. It's not going to go off. And so she remembered and spooning this yogurt into my bowl, and I was just eating it like, help, someone help me. It's very my mum. But yeah, but no, but she's but right. It's true, and no, we've right. that whole because we buy things wholesale as well. Yeah. So it's been in the fridge, which been again another good way of not it's, wasting food. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's got the the lids and everything, and it, it's fine. Mm. And also, I'm a big one, just use your sense of smell. Absolutely. You can tell if milk is off. Obviously. By smelling it. You can tell if You don't want to taste it. Oh, that's bad. I don't it like... It is bad. But I have done that quite But with salad, times. you can tell if salad is off or not. It smells awful. Mm-hmm. You know, and also, if you keep it in the fridge, if you, if you keep all of that stuff in the fridge, as well as bread, bread is real pain because it can go off so quickly. Yeah. If you keep it in the fridge or the freezer... I'm a big fan of the freezer. Mm. Slice it's bread, fine. put it in the freezer, take one bit out, toast it, it's perfect. Mm, it is. And then you don't ever waste it. But if you want bread for sort of sandwiches and you can't, you know, freeze then it. Then keep it in the fridge. Then just keep it in the fridge. Gets at least an extra three or four days. Um, and I think it's much more of a problem when you live on your own and you're, or you're living in a house and you are just buying for yourself. Mm. Because that's when you get loads and loads of food waste, Definitely. I think. Because if you buy, you know, vegetables and they come in a packet of this many, you might not use that many. And therefore, things just so sit quick. there, and then fruit and veg in particular just sits there, and mm. then it goes off, and then you end up throwing it away. Well, it's, the app that you were telling me about sounds like a really good it's idea. It's really cool. So it's called o- Olio, mm. and I found out about this through Desert Island Dishes, which is a play off Desert Island Discs, and you uh, talk about your favourite sandwich, the meal that reminds you of your childhood, your last meal that you would have before you go to the Desert Island, among others. It's really good. And the found the co-founder of this app called Olio come on, came on it and was explaining all about how it works. And essentially, you can put any item that you don't need or want up on this app, and then neighbours or other people can find it and then come and pick it up such from a, you. Such a good idea! I can't wait to use it. It's so Honestly, good. Honestly, one of the first things I download. So, when I get especially because it's obviously August. We're coming into August. People are going to be going on holiday. If you've mm. got veggies or I mean anything that you don't want to throw away, just try out this app. Just put it on the app, mm. see if there are any neighbours or friends or people who would be wanting to use that. And then it's saving you wasting it and it's giving it to somebody else. The biggest tip that I have in terms of saving food, which is a really obvious one, but which is to use Tupperware. Georgia yeah, is obviously a massive fan of Tupperware. I love you say obviously. Well, you are because you you had the uh, the bouncer who was like, "Why is this girl got so much Tupperware in her?" I have Tupperware everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> but um, more specific advice is to buy Lakeland Tupperware, 
really really good it's got different colored lids so then you don't have to write labels and they stack so you don't have to pay play tupperware jenga in the fridge which can be a bit of a nightmare it is <clears throat> or also useful one is if you get an indian or a Thai or a Chinese and they come in the little plastic things they're a really good size they stack really easily and then you're saving plastic you're saving food they're great for lunches at work really great for lunches at work so yeah get some Tupperware save some food and have a look at Olio and the Felix project and don't be like Mrs Taylor Thomas the third figure that we're going to be talking about is a kind of meta one in that it is the figures of Love Island 2018 yeah why did Love Island completely take over the country like it did not for everyone but for a lot of people our age Mm. I think it was all everyone was talking about really Mm. Leah Green wrote a really good piece about it and she said described it as a national conversation it is a national conversation it is you could go up to anybody anywhere pretty much and and just say are you watching Love Island exactly and I loved it it's just it brings um a new and really interesting element to small talk. Mm. <laughs> sort of how X Factor did when X Factor was big back in the yeah, day. Yeah, true. Everyone watched X Factor when, mm-hmm. when we were kids, so mm-hmm. it was sort of like that. But I think what really strikes a chord with Love Island, everyone is so nosy about people's relationships and love, and this was just an excuse for people to be as nosy as they want. Like, yeah. if you think about gossip and yes. what people like to gossip about the relationships. most is relationships who's hooked up with who who's mm-hmm. cheated on who exactly. who's did a, and this was literally like watching that play out mm-hmm. in front of us and then your own gossip could become about other people's gossip <laughs> gosh what a black hole of gossip yeah but actually that's what Ian Sterling who's the guy who narrates it wrote mm. in this piece as well that mm. it is that is what we find so compelling Absolutely. in everything it's all um, about relationships it is relationships you enjoy a lot Oh, yeah. about relationships. Relationships are everything, is what Billie Jean King said in exactly. her design. And this is actually another example of that. Absolutely. That's why we've got four million people watching the final. Oh, my God. And that's not even including um, Catch Up. That was four million on the night. Mm. So, and we watched it the day after. So yeah. we don't know what the figures are for that. Yeah, exactly. The other figures that were astonishing, <laughs> percentage of people who voted for Jack and Danny. Over, over 76%, I think. So second place was something like 8%? Yeah, so they didn't even stand a chance. And I think that's because they are genuinely in love with each so other. So Jack and Danny are the couple that won by a long shot. And actually... But the, that must be the most landslide victory of ever. any reality TV show. I know, it must be. Well, they, they, the, way, so the way Love Island works is that the, the whole idea is that you need to stay in a couple or you're looking for love and you're looking for being within a couple is that is that right to say yeah so they so right at the beginning you have five guys you have five girls and they all couple up with each other pretty much depending on just looks don't yeah you? because you they don't, don't know, know each other at that point point. and it's interesting because jack and danny picked each other mm-hmm. without knowing anything about them never having met before just on attraction yeah and they've stayed together for the whole 10 weeks has it been this year? Yeah, I don't know what started. I'm going to do anymore. <laughs> I've really dipped in and out though. I've, I've, I had a theory that I didn't want to get completely sucked in straight away because it does really take over your evenings. The other thing is that I really like discussing so it with other people. Yeah. And I, don't, I didn't love watching it on my own because then I would just want to talk to somebody about it. So I'd only do it if I was texting someone. So I could text you to be like, <laughs> yes, oh no, what? Yeah, <laughs> and I think Alex's cesarean story, we were both just like, oh my God, yes. I hope we so never Alex have was, to do that. Alex was fifth in the end. He was mm. Dr. 
in Peninsula. Yeah, Doctor in Peninsula. Which uh, is near where uh, George went to uni. Where I went uni. to uni and a lot of my friends are at the same medical school, which is quite jokes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, well, I guess that having him on shows that I think the, the range of people that they had was actually quite... Well, vast. It's I mean, got, it's had, got a long way to go. They had no, it's got a, no, of course. But they do try and pick people from different parts of the country. Yeah, different sorts of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, everyone looks like they've just walked out of a catwalk. They are all like Barbie dolls. They are all like Barbie dolls. But and this is not my personal opinion, but I'm playing devil's advocate here um, because I personally think we should have more representation of all body types and personality types. But would it be as popular? No, I don't know. Are we so? <laughs> I was, was lovely, by the way. I was going to go no, and then I thought actually, so many people have complained about it that maybe more people would. But like is that it. that thing? If we all complain, and then when it happens, we're like, oh, it's not really as good, or it's not as entertaining. Mm, it sort of is the heart of the whole idea, the ridiculousness though, because of it. I think that essentially. What I really like about Jack and Danny winning is that it's sort of, it it's much more about their relationship and their love of each other. Which I can't I can't mm. believe I keep on using that word because they literally have known each other for ten weeks. But they when they say I love you so much, mm. you know if it's genuine or not. Yeah, you do. And I think you that can that's just feel it. that's the other thing that Ian Sterling he obviously has to re- like watch every <sighs> single minute of it and narrate it. He must know them inside. He out. knows what's. And that's what he says. You know it when you know when it's fake. Yeah, and you can and tell when they don't have off. they don't have the quite the right chemistry. Like for example, mm. which is I thought was really interesting. So Laura was part of a couple um, who came second. Now Laura has had some really kind of ups and downs, and the first two guys she coupled up with uh, dumped her dumped her for other girls. And I think the British public kind of thought, oh God, I really feel for her. And, and I really she's a really gorgeous Scottish accent. Gorgeous. She just is gorgeous. And she gorgeous. is beautiful. She looks and, incredible in the final. Oh, yeah. And the and um, the guy, Paul, that she ended up leaving the villa with at the end came in only two weeks before the end. Mm. And then they still became second. Yeah, I really like which that. Which shows that people really like her and actually could relate to her. And, and when she was dumped, I think every single person could relate to that. Yeah. Every single person has had an experience where they just feel like... But I mean, oh how much worse? You're, you're being rejected and dumped on national television. But that's what you sign up for, isn't it? It is. Well, it? I think this is the other thing, that it, there is a vulnerability at the same time as there being an incredible confidence about Massively. everybody who's in there, mm. which I think that lots of people could really learn from because as this uh, Emily Clarkson was talking about, really liked her piece, and she compared it to The Sims... In that we kind of live vicariously through. I love The Sims. Yeah, I know. So true. It is, it is like true, isn't it? Yeah. And we kind of live vicariously through these beautiful people. Mm. And uh, was also saying that their confidence is, is really something to be admired. That they will just go, "I really fancy you," and uh, "Can you give me a kiss?" Such as Megan. Oh my God! Yeah, Megan. Mm. God. But on Megan and why I really love that Jack and Danny won. They are not the most polished plastic surgery people no i probably have the least among the any. two of them if any if any yeah they're very real like danny definitely doesn't have fake boobs and she's got the best boobs yeah uh, <laughs> jack also does not have eight pack no i love him he's got, like got a really dad bod but not even that badly like he's still no, very slim just... and in shape it's just that he doesn't have an eight pack exactly and looks like he's at the gym 15 just, hours a day exactly. which actually isn't that attractive like when Adam came in I was watching a lot of my boyfriend and my boyfriend was always looking at me like 
obviously you fancy Adam really like so no. much and I was literally like no I don't like honestly <laughs> I don't <laughs> seriously I it's really real there's something quite unattractive mm. about someone who's so built and it's the mm. same with a woman who's maybe had so much plastic surgery you know boobs bum lips yeah but like well what why why do you feel the need to do that there's clearly a massive insecurity there which we did explore with Megan you know she does say to Wes you know you've helped me kind of love myself more yeah be more accepting of myself and I actually love that she asked him to be her, her boyfriend yeah. we don't see that much on tv it's very much this yeah. moment of being exactly. asked to be someone's girlfriend that's kind of um and I also quite like that she came in similar to Adam and they were both almost seen as bad as each other which mm. is rare to have a woman and a man kind of mess around with everything so much normally it's a bad boy yeah and Megan I felt had this sort of evilness like people thought she was just so cruel and so awful to take Wes and all yeah, of that really but actually true. she was just doing what Adam and everyone else was doing and also she was it, it, that's the whole point of the show yeah in a brutal Absolutely. way that's what it was and, and you feel awful for Laura for example who was coupled up with Wes but actually that's the name of the game isn't it yeah. And same with Georgia, the whole Georgia loyal. I think we can't go through the section without <laughs> mentioning that word. Um, yeah. <laughs> also annoying that her name is Georgia because now we've got loyal attached to Georgia, <laughs> yeah. which is just so annoying. Um, but on the insecurity and plastic surgery thing, I think mm. that what is important not to forget is that our society has those expectations of this is what is the perfect Body. look. Yeah. And I think that an issue that I have with Love Island is that it is giving a platform to this perfect look. Mm. But then when you actually get into it and you see what matters and what wins, it's laughter, it's genuine enjoyment of each other's company, Mm. it's being vulnerable, being... I mean, the producers tried to split Danny and Jack up. I loved her. It was kind of embarrassing. I actually felt a little bit embarrassed for Ellie at the end because I thought... He was not tempted one single bit. And she obviously so, went in there with the intention to break them up. Yeah, Why so else would she go exactly. on Love so, Island? So just to explain, Danny and Jack were together throughout the entire show. Mm-hmm. And they, the producers ended up putting the previous girl that Jack had been seeing before he came on to Love Island. And she became one of the contestants. Mm. The other thing that they did was the lie detector yep lie detector so they hook up all the boys and then the girls ask them questions mm-hmm. things like do you see yourself outside the villa are you you know are you falling in love with this person do you tr- just can and what you be was trusted? the one in relation to her dad did you know that did you couple up with danny because you knew her dad was danny dyer and he said it was undetermined okay which i think is a little bit okay and then that ended up sparking an argument but mm. it was just they were they almost uh, became yeah. petty things that weren't going to stop them yeah. liking each other. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, the lie detector was interesting. Mm, I don't really take the lie detector that Oh no, definitely seriously not. Because... Isn't it just a nervous thing? Isn't it like a heartbeat? I don't know. But on shows like Jeremy Kyle and even in police criminal cases, you people take lie detector tests all the time and they're taken seriously. Maybe it depends on the type of lie detector. Mm. I just don't think that it, it needs to be as big a deal as it is. But it is entertaining TV. Which is why it got a BAFTA. Yeah, absolutely. And also, one of the, th- the things I want to end on is... What's really weird about insecurity is that... Two of the most insecure girls, Laura and Kendall... Mm-hmm. Were girls that looked like supermodels. And 
were incredibly stunning and they were so insecure i couldn't believe it Mm. i just thought oh my god it was almost like the more um attractive they would be perceived the more insecure they were yeah same with megan actually yeah exactly but i think it's really important to see that because when you watch people for that amount of time you see the whole person even watching them on tv i mean Mm. i can't even imagine how well they know each other within that environment yeah and I really hope that Danny and Jack put, find a lovely flat with their £50,000 and they live together and they have a really wonderful, beautiful family. Last question. <laughs> Do you think that the contestants deserve a private life outside of the villa? I think that's such a good question. I think it depends on what else they expect. So if they expect to have lots of sponsorship and lots of presentation and yeah all of that then I don't think that they can have that as well as having a private life but I think that if they decide that they've done this completed they don't want anything else to do with it then they should be Be able to get on with it able to have a private life but they're ultimately they're not going to be able to have both no and with Instagram stories and all social media and tweets we are going to be constantly updated if we want to be on On their doing their, their lives yeah some mm. of the ones that have been in from the beginning have a million followers now. Yeah. Okay, my final question. Mm. If you went on Love Island, who mm. would control your social media while you were in the villa? <laughs> um, so when you, you asked... You can put two people. So when you asked me this question weeks ago, my first answer was, was Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ironic, because that's uh, your boyfriend. He's my boyfriend, but um, I know that he would be jokes because he's so like bad at social media. He just put all the funniest memes, and he'd be able to take the piss out of me in a very funny way. Um, <laughs> he also would be too disorganised, actually. So I would, probably wouldn't choose him. But that was my instinct. It would be jokes to have Arthur control my social media. Um, it'd probably be you, actually. You and my brother. My brother. My brother. Oh my god, my brother would take the piss so badly. Yeah. No, but my brother was. I think Maggie. You'd meet Maggie. Maggie can't be bothered. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cannot be bothered. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Figure. As always, we really appreciate all of your comments and questions and lovely messages of support. And apologies for all the seagulls. Thank you for bearing with us. Uh, We are loving it here on the coast. Um, And remember to check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts for all the images uh, for this week. And please give us a review and rating on iTunes because that helps people find the podcast. Five stars would be lovely, but obviously it's a free country. So you can tweet us at the Figure Podcast, and we're also Figure Podcast on Instagram, or you can email us thefigurepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week. Until next week. Bye bye.